Will humanity trap itself in an evolutionary dead end? Welcome to Answers News for Monday, November 20th, 2023. In today's top story, we have some scientists who are predicting the evolutionary dead ends that humanity might face. I'm Roger Patterson, and today I'm joined by Brian Osborne hey and Jessica DeFord. I'm not going to say it wrong. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> and we are going to jump right into that first story today. So we have Science Daily reporting on a research paper that was kind of a thought experiment by various scientists who looked at 14 different ways that they proposed uh, the world could come to an end. Only so, 14? Only 14. Only 14. <laughs> so they grouped these into various categories. Uh, these were some different categories that they looked at uh, using the evolutionary framework. Okay, so we have to start out here by thinking yeah. about that as their starting point. So they have an evolutionary worldview. Uh, they grouped these into basic categories. They had global traps, technology traps, and structural traps. So they thought through, okay, so we've evolved as a human race, their, their worldview, okay, that we've evolved as a human race and we've only been on the scene for so long. They call this period the Anthropocene, the Anthropos meaning man. So this is man's period on earth. And how might we have trapped ourselves? We're evolving. How are we going to wind up in trouble? And they were trying to think through all of these things. How could we evolve our way into danger and ended up becoming extinct? And they've, they've thought through these pieces and come up with some very dangerous conditions. And this, this new word, this idea of a Polycrisis. You guys ever heard that word before? Not <laughs> before this article. Today. It's pretty yeah. exciting. Okay. Sounds really so, scary. So we've got some new language to think about. Polycrisis. And um, just a kind of a, a article full of dread and mm -hmm. doom yeah. and just language that's kind of kind of a bit scary thinking through all these things. Were you guys kind of bummed out by the end of this one? Yeah, and apparently yeah. 12 of the 14 are in an advanced state of this polycrisis. Yeah. Phase so, four, as yes. I look down the list here, where they're in phase four. So yes. whatever that actually means, I don't really know. But yeah, it's, it's like, advanced. It's bad. Right. Yeah, that, yes. that we can be sure of. But as Roger was mentioning, this really is stemming from an evolutionary worldview that sees humans as just a byproduct of evolution. And from that perspective, well, what does it really matter if we're in a polycrisis? crisis it doesn't really so it's kind of it's kind of ironic i guess in a sense too and i think it's sure. interesting as well like this this article is talking about evolutionary ideology but it's also at the same time recognizing that people are distinct and different from animals because if we are just a byproduct of evolution then we're just another animal so what does it matter that these things happen mm -hmm. but in this article they talk about our creativity our power to innovate our ability to use tools to solve complex societal issues so it is showing us that we are distinct from animals so it's kind of ironic that they're talking about us being a byproduct of evolution when they're at the same time mentioning that we are sort of distinct from animals like they're pointing out that it's like we're well. made in God's image. Right. Imagine yep. that. And it's interesting when they talk about the different crises, they mention this, there are multiple global crises, such as COVID, the COVID pandemic, climate change, food insecurity, financial crises, conflicts around the world. This is causing, as Roger mentioned earlier, the poly crisis. And my thought was, but these have been occurring 
since all of human history. Even mm -hmm. in the evolutionary worldview. Even in the evolutionary worldview, right. all yeah. of history, these things have been happening. So this is nothing new. And what you really get from all the charged language in the article, as you were mentioning, Roger, is really they want to alarm you. They want you to really be ready to do anything they want you to do to deal with this poly crisis. It's almost like they want you to conform to a particular way of thinking that's ultimately not biblical. Yeah, and that's yeah. what we have to think about. When we read an article like this, what's the goal? What are they trying to push you toward? Yeah. What's, the, yeah. what's the end of all of this? And that kind of comes as we work through all of these different pieces and you, you get toward the end of here. And the goal I found right toward the end, but we must start to transform our societies actively. Mm -hmm. And what's the goal actively that we're actively pushing towards? Of course, they start talking about climate change yep. and, and social pressures. And there's a lot of socialist language here. We've all got to be working together toward common goals and common aims, which is, which is a fine idea for the, for the um, goals that we need to accomplish. We're not, we don't want to be wiping each other out and killing each other. Yeah, those are all good things. But where do those ideas come from? Where are we going to ultimately find common ground in all of those things? Yeah. Those things don't work if we base our goals on humanism, which yeah. is kind of the, the wrap up here. It talks about there's nothing better than exposing yourselves to what needs protecting a humanistic framework. Yeah. The only foundation that we can find truth and a real identity and real grounding, like you mentioned before, is that we're all made in God's image That's and right. the ultimate source of that truth is going to come from the pages of scripture. Yeah. And our hope is in God, our creator, who is in control of these things too. And it's the gospel of Jesus yep. Christ that gives us that hope and that assurance that we can stand on the authority of his word. And I found it interesting at the very end, they say, because we have evolved basically self-awareness, we can deal with these problems in the secular worldview. We must actively design our own future. We can be as our own gods. Now, guys, we are finite. We are broken. We are sinful. We cannot design our own future. Only God can do that. Yeah. We must follow God to flourish. And they're so wrong in their conclusions because their starting points are so wrong. They assume there was no creator. They assume there was no supernatural creation. They assume our wrong identity because they think we're just real arrange Ponscom. Therefore, their conclusions are so wrong. And really, Matthew 22, verse 29, stuck out to me as I read through all this. Jesus answered, the Sadducees in the context here, you are mistaken because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. And they are so mistaken because they don't know God's word or the power of the one true living God. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. God is upholding all things by the word of his power. Yeah. And it's looking to the future, the future in the evolutionary worldview is ultimately a bleak future. Okay? Mm -hmm. Think right. of you do die, you're going to become worm food. That's the only <laughs> hope they can offer. Uh, but we can have a true hope, a true uh, future in the glory of God in the new heavens right. and new earth for all those who trust in Christ. But we read about uh, in passages like Second Peter 3, mm -hmm. that there is a, a coming judgment, a coming uh, time when the earth is going to be renewed and restored. There was the original flood judgment back in the time of Noah. We're looking forward to that future judgment. And people who don't recognize those things, yeah, there is a future crisis that's coming. That's and it's, it's a real one that God assures us of. But we have the true solution to that. We have um, sin corrupts and breaks everything that it touches. It breaks things outside of us and it's broken things inside of us. And we can uh, give people the real hope and the real solution to that in the gospel of Jesus Christ and point them to that real future and that real hope. Amen. All right. Our next article takes us down south. 
uh, to our founder's homeland. Land down Australia. under. <laughs> Fossil footprints are the oldest traces of birds in Australia. Now, we were uh, debating how to pronounce the, <laughs> the exact. Should we uh, call Ken right now? We were, yeah, let's call Ken on the phone right now and figure out how to pronounce this. A set of fossilized footprints found in Australia, which date from over 120 million years ago, are the oldest traces of birds in the southern continents. So what we have is a set of footprints. Uh, I think they said there are over 17 footprints here from several different birds. And this puts us, uh, 27, sorry, 27 footprints. And these are in an area in uh, the Wanthagi or Wanthagi. We were, we were back and forth about how to pronounce Australia this. Australia doesn't want to attempt this. Sorry, I Australian people. Really really anyway, so yeah, it'd be fine. And um, these, these different footprints are preserved in these stone layers. And this puts us back to, in the evolutionary timeline, back to 150 million years is about when they say the theropod dinosaurs and the birds were starting to split. But that's how old Archaeopteryx was, and it's a true bird. So in we, their time frame. In their yeah. time frame. Yeah. So 120 million years, we've got these, and this is in uh, the, the supercontinent of the area of Gondwana and Pangaea. So this puts these footprints as some of the oldest trace fossils that we find of birds in, in the evolutionary framework. And it's very interesting from their perspective, but we've got bird fossils alongside of birds and living, um, living in the flood period as we would understand yep. it from that perspective. And it just confirms what we think about from the, the flood narrative and all of those different accounts. Yeah, they mention they they talk about how uh, birds evolved from theropod dinosaurs, and you have to be discerning when you're looking at bird research or dinosaur research because that's the underlying tone in a lot of these research um, articles that talk about birds and dinosaurs. And but the there's a lot of Darwinian um, influence in that because when Darwin published his book on the origin of species, just about a year or two later is when we discovered Archaeopteryx. And Archaeopteryx had what seemed like both reptilian and bird-like features. So initially, people were confused. They didn't really know what to do with Archaeopteryx, how to classify it. But upon examining Archaeopteryx, they believe it to be a true bird. And yes, Archaeopteryx is indeed a true bird. And evolution is a supposed stepwise process. And the main mechanisms for it are mutation or natural selection. But those either take information away or they're harmful to the animal, there's no gain of information. You need to have a lot of gain of information in order to allow those evolutionary processes to take place in order to turn that theropod dinosaur into a bird. And so you would need to have things like pneumatic bones in place or what we would call hollow bones, air sacs would need to be in place, those wings, those feathers, which are very complex structures that God designed. So this is not a random chance thing that can result from evolution in this supposed stepwise process. That's a loss of information. And it's ultimately important to go back to God's word that tells us birds were created on day five and dinosaurs on day six. So that's the authority by which we discern these things. So you're saying it's not easy to change a T-Rex into a chicken? It's not. Nope. Okay. I just, who would have guessed, all right? Um, and that's not the exact thing. But anyway, having a little bit of fun. Yeah, exactly to all of that. And then also understand to make fossils, period, usually requires a very rapid process. Yep. You got to bury something deeply and quickly to protect it from scavengers and decomposition to give it a chance to become a fossil, which, of course, you have a rapid burying process during Noah's flood, that global mechanism. And then to get fossilized tracks like this, man, what a unique mechanism you need to have. You got to lay down a layer of mud full of minerals and then make these impressions and then bear in mind like when you're at the beach and you walk on the sand you leave footprints behind what happens to your footprints 
washed away. Yep. They're gone in no time flat. Mm -hmm. So how do you preserve these sort of things and make them turn into fossils? Well, mm -hmm. have them form, fill in these impressions with more mud and minerals to protect them from erosion yeah. to give them a chance to fossilize. It's a rapid laying down of one layer after another. It can't be slow. And mm -hmm. this was a, a series of a series layers of that had yep. multiple, multiple different birds depositing these tracks. Yep. So we and know this had to be an event like we see in the flood laying down these multiple layers. And yeah. so the features of these fossils really scream a rapid recent formation, not long, slow, gradual processes. Yeah, when you think about the wind, the wave action, yep. other animals maybe walking in the area, there's a lot of things that could change and erode those footprints. Yep. So another great confirmation of the flood and the, the things we'd expect to find there. Mm -hmm. And if you like this sort of stuff, we have a wonderful book called A Flood of Evidence, 40 Reasons Noah's, uh, Noah and the Ark are still, they still matter. And really, it gives you 40 answers to some of the most asked questions about paleontology and geology, the rock layers and fossils. It really shows how real science, real geology, real fossil study confirms the Bible's clear history again and again in an amazing way. Uh, Ken likes to call this Answers Book 5. He did it so much, they put a little subtitle, the new <laughs> Answers Book 5 at the very bottom there. So, but it's a really great book on that issue. If you want more on this sort of stuff, dive into this. All right, so the next one brings us to a positive story, something we've reported on a few times in the past. Finnish court clears Christian Minister of Parliament of hate speech charges over sharing traditional views on marriage. Wait, wait, wait. Can we take a deep breath and just enjoy that for a second? Just, hey. Hey, positive news story. Positive news yes. story. All right, so this, uh, in Finland, we have uh, reported on this Minister of Parliament and a bishop who is in the Lutheran church, they had been charged with um, harassing people and uh, the, oh, I had it highlighted here. <laughs> um, agitation. Agitation yeah. of a minority for various hate speech because they dared. Um, the lady on Twitter had quoted Romans 1, pointing out that the Lutheran church was supporting the pride parade and then in 2004, they had been involved in publishing a booklet that pointed to the idea that um, marriage was between a man and a, a woman and those types of things and using the Bible to support those ideas. Uh, so they'd been charged with hate speech for using the Bible and um, they had gone through a various appeals. And so they were now basically taking up to what we would think of as our Supreme Court. So they're, they're up to that uh, highest level. And the government kept pushing it and pushing it and continuing to do this. So now we're here uh, to, to this final appeal and it looks like this one is over. Uh, so the, the booklet that they had, or pamphlet they had produced in 2004 was called Male and Female, He Created Them. And that was very offensive. Uh, so the bishop and this minister of parliament um, I would try to pronounce their names, but I would probably offend somebody and get <laughs> we all hate speech them. for yeah. that. To be fair. Uh, but uh, they, they have been uh, cleared of those charges. So, so, Brian, male and female, he created them. That sounds very offensive. Where do you think they got that language from? I'm offended that they are offended. <laughs> Can I take them to court and put them on trial? You yeah. should be able to, following this logic. I know, right? And so, of course, he created them male and female. Come straight from Genesis. Chapter 1, verse 27 and 2:24, we see God making two genders, male and female, and then defining marriage for us. And of course, Jesus quotes directly from that and defending what marriage is in the New Testament. And so yeah, it's basically a very clear biblical understanding of sexuality and gender they presented in, in her tweet and in the publication, which bear in mind, their pamphlet called Male and Female was produced back in 2004. 
So the prosecutors and those who were attacking them were dredging this up from 2004 and using it as proof against them that they were bigoted and intolerant and hateful, uh, which is just a, an amazing precedent in and of itself. And uh, so much of the, we could be here all day on this one, I think, but as Roger mentioned earlier, the charge was they committed agitation against a minority group. And my question is, I wonder how many Christians, Bible-believing Christians, actually live in Finland? They're probably a minority. They probably are. And so can you speak against them? Can you agitate them, say things against their beliefs, and therefore you could be taken to trial? If they were going to be consistent, that should be the case. But of course, they're not trying to be consistent. Why? There's a particular ideology that one group wants, wants to push and have to take over a particular culture. And that's really what's happening here. That's the ultimate push. And... Um, and so the fact that they're attacking her, attacking uh, the bishop who actually publicated and was a co-author of this. And, and, you know, it's really good news. I was telling them backstage. It is good news. It's exciting to get a positive ruling. But my mind just goes to the dark side of this. And that is, but they persecuted her for quoting the Bible. And they're still trying to persecute her. And they're just getting warmed up, I believe, unless God intervenes. And he can do that. That'd yeah. be great. But it, I think it also reminds us to be aware and to be ready for possibly more things like this coming down the pike towards those who hold firmly to a biblical worldview. Yeah, they were talking about the prosecute, prosecutor argued that the Finnish MP should have known that her words may be offensive to certain people, and she should therefore refrain from expressing her beliefs. Quote, unquote, the point isn't whether it is true or not, but that it is insulting. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's arbitrary is really what it is. And ultimately, as Brian was talking about, it's a rebellion against God's good design of marriage and the institution that he ordained. So we're rebelling against that initial institution that he set up and that he designed and he gets to decide what it is and he lays out that marriage is between one man and one woman and we see that in scripture and so those are important things to remember and keep in mind. So the government has decided you can cite the Bible but it's Rostenen's interpretation and opinion about the Bible verses that are criminal and thankfully the court had decided that's not the right way to uh, allow the government to proceed and so this has set a precedent and hopefully uh, they'll be able to use this president in the future, and the government won't be prosecuting people for using the Bible to support their views, and Christians will be free to express those things. And bear but, in mind, I'm sorry, yeah, go ahead. No, it's a, it's a reminder that we need to uh, be willing to use Scripture to support our views, regardless of whether we're going to be persecuted and prosecuted for those things. Yeah, no one can take away the, our right to share the gospel. Right. That's to right. be strong and courageous in the Lord and to remain steadfast in that. And it could push us to pray for the people who are being persecuted as well as for our persecutors as well. Yep. And I was just going to say that they were persecuting her for holding to an interpretation of scripture that the church has held for roughly 2,000 years. They were persecuting her for the plain reading of the text in context. It really is amazing, the persecution coming at them. And as you read about the trial, they were actually saying that the prosecutors were basically asking her, are you willing to renounce or update your beliefs about marriage and sexuality? If you're willing to deconfess those ideas and confess our particular orthodoxy, then we'll allow you to not be persecuted. This is a heresy trial. You must conform to the new religious ideology, and if you don't, they will attack you. And again, we must be ready to deal with that and just stand on the conviction of God's word from the foundation up. All right, now to a very sad story. Um, mm. This of a, a young baby in the UK, Indy Gregory dies after being removed from life support, parents angry and heartbroken. 
Uh, so I've been following this story for the last few weeks. Uh, so in the UK, they have a socialized form of medicine. And uh, many of us, as we've watched these things progress, and we've shared many stories here on Answers News, have basically warned against the idea of uh, what have been called death panels and yeah. people deciding who is going to live and die inside of these socialized medical systems. And this is basically what this has come down to in this case. Mm -hmm. And we've been told over and over, oh, no, no one's going to decide who lives and dies. But that is indeed what happened in this very case. Uh, so this mm -hmm. uh, young baby, eight months old now, had a uh, what's most likely a, a lethal mitochondrial disease. She would not have lived much longer, uh, but um, she had the opportunity to live a little bit longer. There was an offer from the Italian government to bring her as a citizen. They offered her emergency citizenship and to take her to Italy for some special treatments that could have prolonged her life. And the UK government, um, the medical system, the NHS there said, no, and continued to hold her and wouldn't even let her parents take her home. And she died there in the hospital under hospice care. And uh, another reminder of the, the rights that continue to be taken away as the state gathers control and gathers power and that we need to be aware of those things and understanding the times and what's going on around us. Yeah, it's really heartbreaking and tragic. And ultimately, it was the medical professionals in the NHS that decided that they were going to de determine whether or not this baby Indy would live or not. And instead of taking that, or they took that from the parents who should have been able to rightly decide that this is their child, that they that the mom raised in the womb and bore, and they know the birthday and the child and all of the things around it. And so to take that away, I can't imagine. It's just probably heartbreaking and so tragic. And it shows just a lack of value of the sanctity of life, too. We're rebelling against God again. We're going away from him as the author and sustainer of life and seeing humans as having inherent value and as made in the image of God. And it's just really heartbreaking. Yeah, I can't help it. But as I'm reading the article, I read it earlier, think about it now. You know, I think about my children, you know, and if, if it was my daughter in that situation. And, you know, I think any parent in here could resonate with that particular idea and feel the pain just immediately as we just even just think about the possibility, much less living through it. And I think it's even worth noting, Roger mentioned earlier, that a hospital over in Italy offered to come and help. They offered to come and help at no cost to the UK government. It wasn't about money. They said, we will pay for the expenses. We will come. We'll do all the special care. We'll put it in place. We will take care of the baby. They, they actually gave the baby a special citizenship. Emergency citizenship, so the baby could go legally. I mean, they worked hard to at least extend the life of this child. And essentially, as best I can tell, we were chatting about it backstage, but as best I can tell, the UK government said no, basically as a power play. This is our decision. You will not take this control away from us. And you think about how heinous that really is. And, and the judges who ruled for this, the Justice Peter Jackson, Lady Justice Eleanor King, Lord Justice Andrew uh, Moylan, uh, that's on you and the others who backed you and what you, uh, and what you did by not allowing them to have further treatment for this child. And it's just a reminder, as Roger said, against the attack against parental rights and control. And it's just a reminder of how necessary it should be for us to fight within a biblical framework to maintain those rights as best we can because it's not just the issue of whether the baby lives or dies one month from now three three months from now but do the parents have the right to determine the care of the child 
whether the child receives hormones at 5, 6, 9, 10, 13, 14, whether they can go through a transgender surgery, whether the child can go get an abortion without parental notification. All that stuff is in play in all this, and most likely that's part of the equation they were weighing when they wanted to keep the control. So it really is broken and heinous. It reminds us that brokenness and the need to be alert for these sorts of things. Yeah, the parents even put in an appeal to allow for baby Indy to die at home, too, after they took her off of life support, and they even denied that. So they didn't even let, they didn't even let them determine where the baby died. And related uh, to an article, how AI could change fertility treatments. So here we have uh, something Christians need to be very aware of thinking about this in the uh, realm of fertility treatments, specifically dealing with um, artificial insemination and embryo development. So this is taking the basic idea of using artificial intelligence into the realm of harvesting eggs and and, uh, fertility treatments for couples who have that uh, challenge and that difficulty and using some technology that might assist in that. And it sounds like it's a a good thing that could be helpful, but it creates some real uh, moral dilemmas in just in the realm of doing that type of treatment. There's some very specific things that we need to be aware of because uh, what this technology would allow you to do is to come up with a more efficient way to harvest the eggs and produce those embryos. And every time you produce one of those embryos, you are creating a life and that life is made in the image of God. And now that AI can sort it more efficiently to find the best embryos. And as we've talked about it before, uh, this industry has basically become the commodification of human life. And Mm -hmm. that's a very, very dangerous thing. So as Christians who value every single life from the moment of fertilization, Mm -hmm. We need to be acutely aware of what's happening with this technology and not just use it without understanding all of those issues. Yeah, these fertility services are using AI to streamline the process of fertility is what they're saying. And then also that these AI are uh, selecting for highest um, quality embryos. And so, well, then that begs the question, what happens to the ones that are deemed poor quality or less quality. And if we know that fertilization, um, if that life begins at fertilization, then if these are human embryos, which they are, that are being created and they're being destroyed, the less quality ones are being destroyed, then that's murder. And I think that's what, uh, especially a lot of Christians need to really understand about the process here. It's just, I think for many, they don't understand what's actually taking place. When you have these embryos, when you form these embryos, it's not some side scientific project, not some inanimate, lifeless thing. It's a person made in God's image. And so to create that and then to destroy it or to freeze it, to put it on hold for X amount of years, uh, it is, it's unbiblical, it's inhumane, it's broken, it's evil when you really break it down to what it is. And I think for me, it's just a lack of understanding what it actually is, what's actually going on here. So we need to be aware. And also not knowing won't be a valid excuse when we stand before God. We need to do our best to understand what's happening here. And really there have been literally millions of embryos discarded uh, through things like in vitro fertilization and other things like that. So to be aware of that, what it actually is and to act accordingly within a biblical worldview. All right, the last story we're going to get to for today, uh, Project Traces 60 Million Years of Elephant Evolution and How Humans May Be the Species Undoing. 
Uh, so right off the gate here, we can see we're looking at things from an evolutionary perspective. Wait, real quick. So before, before I read the article, <laughs> I just looked at the headline and I wrote predictions from the title. Elephants make elephants. It will be claimed humans are causing climate change, which will cause the end of elephants. Those are my predictions. Bingo. <laughs> he nailed it. It's almost like you've read a few of these oh before. My and, few. and that's basically what we have. So we have uh, the story of a researcher from the University of Michigan, Bill Sanders, who's been studying elephants for over 40 years. And uh, he's looked at elephants and been invited to the Arabian Peninsula and other areas to study footprints that they found as fossils and uh, fossil individuals and uh, look at the history of these amazing creatures and try to study them. And it talks about their evolutionary history over um, these 60 million years from a tiny little creature that's only a few inches long that you wouldn't even recognize as a, the uh, proboscideans is the, the big word we would Bless use you. to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and how it didn't even have the nose that we would think of the trunk and how that's developed and evolved. And it walks through this uh, series of supposed evolutionary history. Uh, but we would um, recognize some of those within the elephant kind. And if you've been down to the Ark Encounter, we uh, have those there in the ark and, and what those would look like, a little different than the things that we see uh, out in the um, African and Asian elephant populations today in the world. But what we do learn is that indeed, elephants have been elephants and they face some challenges today as they interact with humans and those types of things. We've done some things that probably do lead to mm -hmm. endangering their populations. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we shouldn't abuse them and exploit them in the ways that we do, but right. humans are still the ones given dominion, yep. but we need to be good to God's creatures and, and honor them as well. Yeah, and it's the biblical worldview that gives us the lens from which we can rightly interpret conservation efforts and That's to right. preserve animals like elephants. And because we are called to exercise dominion in a way that brings honor and glory to God, we do live in a fallen world. So there are going to be people that abuse that, that are going to cause harm to animals. But we're commanded not to do that. We're commanded to help these animals in a way that does bring honor and glory to God, to care for his creation. And it is from the biblical worldview that we can do that. From the naturalistic, humanistic perspective, then what what does it matter if we care for elephants? If we're just another animal, if we're just rearranged pond scum, why do we care if elephants die out? Yeah, and there were a couple of things from the article that just kind of uh, cracked me up a little bit. It's not uncommon to some of these, but one was they're talking about the evolution of the elephants and how they evolved their special features. And basically, they said, as the elephants got bigger, it was hard to reach the ground. So the elephants evolved a long trunk. Because they needed that. Because they needed it. Obviously, they needed that, Brian. So I need a new car. Can I evolve a new car? <laughs> That's not how it works. It's, it's got to oh, be part of your like body. That. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, in so much of evolutionary thinking, that's really how it breaks down. Oh, they needed a particular function. Therefore, it evolved out of necessity. But as you mentioned earlier, yeah. to make a new, a new thing, a new functionality, a new part, a new appendage, you need genetic information that is specific and builds that new thing over time, even progressively step by step. Yeah. Natural selection and mutations shuffle or lose or jumble up existing genetic information. They don't add it. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't really work in reality, but it's magic for the evolutionary storytelling idea. And then also... They said the elephant's trunk has hundreds of thousands of small muscles inside of it, so versatile with your hands, it can pick up a penny off the ground. 
because it's amazingly designed mm-hmm. by an incredible creator. Uh, and so, but as you go through in short summary, they say, yeah, uh, elephants, they actually argue elephants helped humans evolve because back in the day, elephants cleared the savanna, cleared out the plains, so ape-like ancestors who were bipedal by that point could walk better and have better access to things, so they kept evolving bigger and better. So elephants helped us evolve, but now we're going to destroy them by our changes in the world around us because That's of our cruel, evolution. That's a cruel twist of fate. It is, and so... That's they, the evolutionary story. They should yeah. be able to evolve something that protects them from humans then, right? They should. That would be next. Yeah. Two trunks. There's, there's probably some information in that book you've got there also about yes. that. Yes. Right? So if you want to learn about reality, how things actually change, real variation, uh, real scientific, scientific observations that confirm the Bible, great book by Dr. Nathaniel Jensen called Replacing Darwin. Does an incredible analysis of actual genetic data within living things. And really the biblical time frame and the biblical understanding of creator is the key to rightly understanding the world around us. It is an amazing book. Really well done. Check it out. All right. Great resources. Um, Other great resources we've got for you. Uh, We'd love for you to check out our Answers Bible Curriculum that comes in two basic forms. We've got our Sunday School format that you can use uh, in your typical Sunday School classroom format and also the homeschool version. And you can find Brian Osborne and Avery Foley doing our Building Block series. That's a great video supplement to that. Uh, So I was a part of writing that curriculum for over 10 years. It's like giving birth to a child for 10 years and passing it off to other things. Sounds great. (laughs) Uh, So we have uh, lots of great resources connected to that. So check out ABC Homeschool and uh, ABC Sunday School. And then uh, we are involved, uh, Jessica and I involved in our science programs that we get to teach here at the Creation Museum and down at the Ark Encounter, as well as doing some off-site programs. Uh, So we have our Explore Camps and our Explore Days. So those are on-site programs where you get to bring your kids and we teach them all kinds of different topics from biology to chemistry to paleontology to fossils and just all kinds of different things. Great, amazing programs. They make me blow stuff up every time I do. <laughs> and I get to fly drones, so you get to fly I drones. can't complain. Yeah, so. This is hard work. Man, look at you guys go. And our high school labs uh, for kids that come and do their high school lab experiences here. Uh, we have a year-round program and an intensives program. And then we've also got that for the juniors as well. So great science programs, great science education here at the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. So we'd love to uh, have your kids get a biblically grounded science education in those programs. So you can check out information at our website there. So thank you guys for joining us today for Answers News. We will see you again next week. God bless. See you guys.